0: Uh, welcome to another episode of, well, What Kind of Podcast, the As Yet Unnamed Podcast, the podcast with no name, the podcast with several names. You know, we're just, we're going to keep running with this for a while. We've we've been, uh, you know, appreciating all of your wonderful name suggestions and we'll keep considering them. Um, any, any kind of favorites that have come to mind of late or any kind of, you know, recent things, Andy, that have come your way? Well, I... I-
1: I have to say, uh, Aaron, I have been singularly totally impressed by A, by the creativity and B, by the fact that some people, you know, there is no line in how far they will try pushing the humour. Uh, you know, David from Edinburgh and Justin from London, you know who you are. Neither of those suggestions were printable, um, but there have been some interesting ones. So um, I think hopefully by the time we get to the next show, we'll be able to sort of perhaps present three or four. And we can't really take a vote, it's not a live show, but maybe we'll have a we'll actually have a, night, a name for this podcast. So maybe in fifty years time we'll still have no name.
0: We, we, we exactly we will be that podcast that never got around to naming itself. I'm amazed that we've gotten to episode four, to be honest, you know, without a name. Um yeah. Michael, how about you? Anything anything come your way? Anything come to your postcode or to your post box
2: as you uh, no, no, nothing yet. I quite like the three men in the podcast idea. Um partly because I live by the Thames. So yeah, having read Three Men in the Boats. um it's kind of good. Maybe we need to get a dog to come join the podcast. so <laughs> that that would be good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Get get him all mic'd up. Yeah, I mean we could so it's I presume we're just going to keep going with these opening salvos about what our name is in perpetuity and then we'll just you know never, we'll always That's be right. teasing our listeners that eventually there will be a name but it will never arrive.
1: Anyone like yeah, in 5 years time, we'll have made a fortune from this podcast as it's grown we we'll lying on a beach in, you know, Antigua or somewhere. And uh, we'll still be debating what we should call this podcast.
0: And then, if anything goes wrong, if we say anything libellous, we can just say, "Well, what kind of what podcast are you talking about? What kind of podcast are you talking about? We don't even have a name. It's the Incognito Podcast."
2: There we are. I'm slightly okay. worried if we stop using the first five minutes of our podcast to debate the name, people will get a bit confused because I guess by now anyone who has listened to us more than once will just kind of you know fast forward through the first five minutes to get onto the actual conversation.
0: Uh, <laughs> that's right. Which means That'd if in surprised. the future
2: we're
1: going to say anything libellous. We need to insert it into the first five minutes because that's the bit that people skip through to get to the real content. It's true,
0: of course, there will also be people who only listen to the first five minutes. who don't care what we actually have to say of any content, but like let's just hear this and then i'll I'll uh, move on, but you know oh, it's it's either if you were, like, way a
2: big successful podcast we'd have been giving you five minutes of adverts for some like plumber in Glasgow, so you know at the end of the day, <laughs> you know this is the adverts that we didn't give because no one would be stupid <laughs> enough for advertising our podcast at the moment that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the There's a plumber called Michael ott who can come and you know do all sorts of things because he's lost his job uh, for libellous speech on a podcast. So there we are.
2: Um, I mean, the worst plumber in our rental flat. We've had nine water leaks in the space of the last twelve months. So um, yeah, not caused <laughs> by ourselves. We hasten to add, but uh, it's not. The well,
1: on that on that bombshell, <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> That's right. What are we supposed to be talking about this time?
0: Well, yeah, so, so actually, uh, moving on to our actual content. So, for those of you who have skipped the introduction, uh, <laughs> and you're welcomed by real conversation at this point, um, we're discussing actually quite a tricky topic, um, a sobering topic, which is when Christian leaders fail. Okay, when Christian leaders fail, we're looking at this kind of broadly. Uh, of course, any of you who are familiar with recent um, situations will have seen and know about, I don't think anyone who can't know about uh, the Ravi Zacharias uh, scandal. For those of you who don't, just go and Google the name and it'll come up with a thousand podcasts who've already spoken about it, most of which introduce themselves by saying, I wasn't going to say anything about the Ravi thing, but all of my listeners have told me I must say something on it, so I will. So fort- you know, fortunately, we don't have that many listeners to kind of tell us uh, what our take is on it. Um, so we're just deciding to, try to say something on this issue but really on in a broader sense about leadership in general so we'll try and engage a a few of those little topics but i would like us to start with the ravi thing if we can because especially both of you michael and andy have had um sort of interaction with um ministries directly as evangelists Um, And it'll be interesting just to hear um your reflections initially and any kind of sort of takeaways that you think would be helpful so michael why don't you just kick us off what's your sort of how did you respond to the whole thing and any kind of
2: thoughts? Yeah. So um, so I found it a strange one um, in that I never met Ravi. I don't think I ever heard him preach live. I don't think I've ever read one of his books in, you know, (laughs) in completeness. Um, But having said that, you know, I know loads and loads of people who work with Arzim. Some of them are good friends. Some of them we've done missions together. um, And, um, I would have popped into the zim uh, offices in Oxford and and had good relationships with folks there so so it was a weird one because with Ravi himself, I didn't feel I had any connection but with the organization a lot um so obviously, as revelations started coming out particularly over the course of the last few months um just a real sadness um uh, a sense of shock initially at the stuff and uh, the magnitude of the stuff that was coming out um and then obviously the thoughts of how that would then impact upon others um, who are then caught up. And I guess that's one of the difficulties when you have an organisation with someone's name right at the top of it, um, that has massive implications for everyone else um, within it. So yeah, it's been, it's been incredibly sad, really, um, looking at that and thinking, how has this happened? I guess personally as well, kind of looking back, thinking, given that there were obviously allegations that came out in 2017 and also allegations before that even about his credentials that have been spoken of it's made me kind of think given that this stuff was out there why didn't i ask more questions now in a sense i didn't work for the organization so i could say well i I didn't need to um i wasn't being employed by them but at the same time you know are we too easily led to just trust that everything is okay in a situation even when things start to smell, smell suspicious and i guess it's made me more or question really like you know we need to be really careful on that um uh, the trust that we can have um and and maybe we do need to ask more questions sometimes even though that can be painful but uh yeah so it's been it's been sobering it's been it's been sad and i've just found myself you know praying for the victims you know so many that transpires um and thinking of them and also the folks who Connected to it uh, more strongly than I am, as they kind of come to terms with what that means for themselves, for their ministries, for their future, um and uh, yeah, so it's been tragic, really. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Michael, for sharing that. Um, it, I mean, it's interesting you
0: hear, as I said, there've been so so much reflection, so many blogs and podcasts on this issue, um and that that theme comes up again. they just the thought that this was not a, po- it wasn't possible to think that this was true when the allegations started coming out, but then. As they get pieced together for myself, li- listening to the stuff about the um, academic credentials as an academic, I remember thinking that's a bit weird. This is for those of you who don't know him, I guess, posturing that he had more uh, academic accolades than he actually did. You know, I, I'm an Oxford professor when he um, had done the kind of visiting lectures at a hall and a hall belonging in, in Oxford rather than a particularly affiliated with the university. Mm. Um, and I think. I remember thinking, well, as an academic, I know he doesn't really do academics in the proper sense, but I don't need him to because he's a great apologist and he's a great evangelist. And that's what he does. And he's probably just doing a kind of being a Greek to a Greek, a Jew to a Jew. He sort of technically has academic-ish credentials, but not really. He's not engaging with the academic community, but the academic community isn't doing all that much. That's worth, you know, (laughs) talking about in relation to evangelism anyway, which is a problem. So why would he? Uh, so I guess I, I kind of just sideline that. But as you say, the things build up and then they become, um, you know, insurmountable by the end. But it, 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 some of the issues we'll talk about are systemic, aren't they? That um, uh, Relating to institutions and, and, and the church. How do we actually um, face these kinds of questions when they come before we hear all the information and it's easy to pile on mm-hmm. um, it, on social media and all the rest of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously this isn't a kind of inquest into it. You can go and hear a million other podcasts about that. But Andy, have you got anything to say in relation to this um you know relating to how we as christians respond to these allegations and and uh, and how the church might do better in future
1: yeah it's an interesting question isn't it isn't Aaron I mean to go you know for my my two pennyworth i was slightly more connected to to a.m back in the day um than uh, than Michael was so i was their mm-hmm. canadian director for uh, 2010 2016 and that was actually a fun gig because it was that was a fairly independent kind of setup we were pretty independent of the uh, of the of the u.s mother kind of ship and left to get on with it because america always has a slightly strange relationship with canada anyway um and then i left in in 2016 for a whole number of reasons one of was a tendency to ask the wrong questions and i ran a little bit into the some of the cultural stuff around the organization. I think there's some bigger cultural pieces around around m if I'm honest. Um and then it was interesting when of course the, the credentials piece broke as you referred to there in twenty seventeen, like you, because I'm I'm not an academic, but I've got an academic background, I've got an earned doctorate. I do do visiting lecturing. i was always very careful to get that right and only, you know, I'll only talk about my having a position if it's also on the organization's website. That's my gold standard. Um and looking and going, oh, that's a bit odd. But I think at that point, I was still quite raw with the way that I'd left RZM. So I sort of confessed I didn't look. I mm. just ignored it and kind of moved on. Then the stuff broke with with Ann Thompson, this Canadian woman who Ravi had uh, had groomed and had this uh, this uh, you know inappropriate relationship with and, and abused and all kinds of other things. And I remember at the time thinking, well, this doesn't look good at all. But then I was blindsided, I think. I was blindsided by the fact, of course, that the Thompsons led with this request for a lot of money from Ravi. And that allowed Ravi's defenders to go, oh, look, see, they're just extorting. They're just extorting. Mm. You can't trust them. And that, I think, did hold some traction. And then my mistake was I then trusted people. I remember talking to uh, my friend, Abdu Murray, who's still, you know, on the leadership team with RZM and, you know, calling him up and going, dude, what's going on? And he did this very sort of, you know, his lawyers are very good at doing explanation. And I remember coming away going, well, OK, I've still got a couple of questions, but I guess that sounds compelling and i remember i sort of perhaps foolishly thought well i guess if there really was an issue here the organization would would deal with it right because what organization is not going to deal with it <laughs> um that was a perhaps a foolish decision yeah. and then of course in september last year the allegations about the spa stuff broke and i remember reading that christianity today article and that to me was when the lights went on and i was like oh my this actually happened and I then went back and revisited those other pieces and changed my view, got more engaged, you know, it was one of those voices calling very heavily on the, particularly the UK leadership of uh, the of the Australian branch here to completely kind of break away and myself and others have been putting some pressure on in that regard. So it's been a slow journey. And I guess for me, looking back personally, I wish it had been a quicker journey. I wish I'd got there around about step one or certainly step two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the interesting questions for me, um, Michael, um, sorry, Aaron asked the question. Sorry, Aaron, interesting question to me. um, I thought you were good at asking bad questions. Is that what it is? I know, it's terrible, right? The things I'm thinking a lot about are, you know, organizational questions. How do we structure our organization so that it doesn't happen? You know, it's very easy to look at ours at AM and go absolutely catastrophic failure of governance and leadership. Like there's no doubt about that. You can't paper over that. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, the thing is, the structure is rotten from top to bottom of the U.S. mothership, um, but they didn't get there deliberately. No one set out to do that. They got there by a series of bad decisions over 30 years. So, all of us, whether we lead organizations small or large, or folks listening to this, perhaps you're just pastoring a church with, you know, a couple of you know a couple of volunteers and a, and a congregation less than 100. Still, how do you ensure? that abuse doesn't happen how do you put the structures in place and then the other question for me i suppose aaron that i'm thinking a lot about is do we have a tendency as as christians to kind of put our favored people on pedestals and the interesting thing is this is not an evangelical problem because people do it across the board if you are Mm -hmm. the more the sort of you know left-wing liberal progressive end of christianity and you think you know evangelicals are are terribly naughty types it happens over there too And, and it happens in atheism you know, atheism has had a whole series of high profile scandals in recent years with high profile atheists, you know, misbehaving themselves and uh, and causing all kinds of chaos. But Christians should do better than that. Um, we should do better than that. So yeah. how do we do better than that? How do we lead more like Christ? How do we hold our leaders accountable? And how do we make sure that if people have been victimized and abused, we make it super easy for people to whistleblow, to come forward to tell their stories. Boy, have we got a lot of work to do. Um, there's a lot of work to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, thinking about some of the stuff that, that's come out with us before we move on, just thinking maybe in general terms, one of the things that struck me was the phenomenal amount of money going through the organization. And of course, there's the oft 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 misquoted but still profoundly true verse uh, in in scripture of of the love of money as the root of all kinds of evil often misquoted as uh, money is the root of all evil but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil Um, do you think there's something about evangelistic organizations that seems particularly prone to this of course we know of the televangelistic um, failures of of those those you know health and wealth uh, preachers who tend to sort of bring in you know, loads and loads of money. There was clearly something with, um, but, but it's linked into what they actually do. It's their sort of their their gospel is almost a gospel of money, as it were. With ours, yeah. it was slightly different, but there's still surprising amounts of money coming through. And is there something about just having that yeah. much money in your control? That actually is yeah. difficult and challenging.
1: Yeah. I think so. I mean, let me say a couple of thoughts and then and then and then Michael as somebody who, you know, has vast amounts of money and a house on the Thames and always talking
2: about his boats and, and everything.
0: That's why I used to call the podcast three men and a boat, so he can show off his giant yacht on the Thames. I that's should a I should exactly. add to this point,
2: but you know, the old adage says, you know, better than having a boat, ha- have a neighbour that has a boat, right? So <laughs> <laughs> There we yeah. go. And,
1: uh, and, and in Michael's defence, in case of people about to write in with angry complaints, it's a fairly small boat, I think, you've, 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 you've got. it More like a canoe, in fact, is that
2: right? It's, well, it's actually a paddleboard. <laughs> paddleboard. <laughs> paddle even a canoe hasn't even got sides. No, um, it's a, it a yeah, three-story
1: paddleboard, yeah. Exactly.
2: Back to the money piece very quickly,
1: Aaron. You know what I think is interesting? I think you're right. But I'll tell you the other thing, connection with evangelists, I think, is that evangelists, by our very nature, are persuasive people um because yeah. you've you've learned to be persuasive you want to persuade you spend your life trying to you know commend jesus to people and the problem is you know every gift has its dark side um that if you're not careful you can use for ill as well as for good and i yeah. think the problem is when you're someone who's charismatic and persuasive and engaging the danger is that you can use that to persuade people in unhelpful and ways i mean you know, I remember learning this early on in my married life because I would try and play apologetic arguments with my wife. You know, we would be having a, a debate, a discussion as husband and wife over something. And I would suddenly bring in philosophy and all kinds of things. I remember Astrid would often go, hang on, that's not fair because I haven't been <laughs> trained that way. She's got brilliant other skills, but she's not a philosopher. And she would quite rightly call me up. on going, don't you dare start trying to use philosophical rhetorical tricks to win an argument. That's That's not fair. A, and she was dead right because it was it was totally inappropriate use of that particular uh, that particular tool. And um, now, thankfully, she dinged me around the head and I don't do it again because a couple of dings around the head you learn quite quickly. Um, but I do think, yeah, for someone like Ravi, I think he was incredibly charismatic and that was part of his his gifting. And, and you know, obviously the Lord's used that for for good um in some ways but also you know that very quickly could then be used for all kinds of things manipulating people control and everything else and then couple it with money you've now got charisma and persuasion plus resources and opportunity of going that's a very toxic mixture and with no accountability because it turns out you know he was not accountable to his board his senior colleagues were not asking the questions they jolly well should have done and uh and he wasn't in in a church which we didn't know, when I was a team member back in 2010, 2011, that kind of thing. We always assumed, we thought that he went to a church in Atlanta. Turns out that he didn't at all. Um, so those things, persuasiveness, money, and no accountability. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, that is an absolute disaster waiting
2: to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think just picking up on that, I mean, it'd be good to go back to talk about the church issue, because I think that's critical as well um, later. But in terms of the money, I think one thing to say in terms of Christian organisations um, is in terms of like doing frontline exciting evangelism, that's probably one of the easier things to raise money for <laughs> in terms of the Christian yeah. chip, It looks exciting. And you know, you're appealing to people's desire for the gospel to go out, which is great. You know, and as you, you see this happening, yeah. you can see people with the best intentions wanting to support that and encourage that. Um, yeah. But of course their responsibility is then how you steward it. And I guess two thoughts about the use of money. One is just reading the report, which was so horrific, was a lot of this just wouldn't have been able to happen if there wasn't the levels of money splashing around that was there, at least not accessible yeah. to staff members. Yeah. But also, I guess, in terms of accountability, if you're working for an organisation and being paid a very, very healthy salary, as it turns out that quite a number of the senior leadership were, um, there is a temptation to maybe not want to believe reports about the leadership of that organisation or problems yeah. with the senior leader of it. Yeah. Um, because actually where else are you going to go now i'm not saying that it was done you know um, overtly for that or people would even consciously think that um but actually if you're in such a situation where actually you know someone said you know you're not going to bite the hand that feeds you that kind of kind of that kind of money so so actually if you're getting loyalty by paying people over and above there's just a danger there isn't there um, if if that's the reason why people want to stick with you, I'm not saying that is the reason. Yeah, and there's lots of wonderful people within it, um, but there's just a danger there as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's really helpful, and I think that's I right that the fact that even if it's not overtly pronounced, I think there can be self interest involved, even in deceiving oneself that if you asked questions or or, or did some digging. Um, it would be worse for you to lose your job because you're useful for ministry. You could certainly think, well, this might be quite bad, Mm -hmm. but if I actually ask too many questions, um, I will lose my job or something, and therefore I wouldn't be able to be fruitful in this kind of ministry or that. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of things, and no doubt that's one of the people who have deceived themselves who are perpetrating abuses like this no doubt go through processes of rabbit hole self-deception, that what they're doing is somehow okay, that how they can live this sort of double life and and justify it, which which sort of leads on to the issue of um spiritual abuse, uh, which obviously came up in the Ravi case significantly. Um but it's a term that is quite hard to define. I know there's organizations which speak into it and are experts in it almost, but I think it can be banded around in an unhelpful way. Now in Ravi's case it would be the spiritually the spiritual abuse by almost baptizing what you're doing even with the person that you're abusing, to bring God into it, to pray with the victim, this kind of thing, and say, this is all connected to the ministry. Don't talk about this because it will undermine the ministry. Um, there's that kind of horrendous level. Which we had similar things with Jean Vanier, um, praying with with um, people and sort of saying that God is okay with this and speaking with this tremendous authority, which can't be sort of questioned in a one-on-one situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have that that term bandied around to anyone who is showing authoritative leadership, um in any sort of sense so, you know it's Andy mentioned earlier the danger of being charismatic um of course the, the opposite problem would be that then we just promote people to leadership who are not particularly charismatic or persuasive and look at what might happen um and so we might be scared of of strong leadership or authoritative leadership visionary leadership whatever you want to call it which has often been the kind of knee-jerk response to these kinds of issues you know we've had Um, An an example from the States would be probably Mark Driscoll from a number of years ago. Now, certainly nowhere near the levels of Ravi in terms of what he had done wrong. And in many respects has probably been given a harder press than was actually fair, though he was clearly did some things that were not helpful and was overly executive in his use of Bylaws and um, non-disclosure agreements and all the rest of it, but ultimately he was just very, you know, had a very clear vision, single-minded, and was not prepared, you know, was happy to tell people where to go if they didn't agree. Now we've had leaders who've done tremendous things in the history of the church who've done similar, who've led in a similar kind of way. We think of the Salvation Army, William Booth, Methodism, John Wesley. If we knew more about them in their day-to-day, we might be saying they're spiritually abusive as well. And, and then what do we do with Methodism? What do we do with the history of? so many of these leaders who have strong characters and charismatic, God's given them a certain gift. They've got some edginess to them. Um, how do we deal with that when we have to deal with the problem of, um, keeping these charismatic leaders accountable? Anyone want to have a go at that straightforward question?
1: I guess I just begin by saying, and then, um, I'll pass to Michael for the the spiritual (laughs) Perfect podcast.
0: chat. That is, I'll begin by saying, I'll I'll
1: begin by saying, and then I'll pass it to my esteemed colleague. Um, it does occur to me, of course, this is not just a Christian issue. You know, I think it's it, that I find fascinating. There is something about strong leadership and just tipping the balance between, you know, being a strong leader who knows what he or she wants and goes for it, versus then running roughshod over others. And I deliberately say she. I mean, you look at political history. You look at someone like, say, Margaret Thatcher. You know, the first female mm-hmm. prime minister of Great of Great Britain, and whether you were for her or against her, what you can't deny is, you know, absolute trailblazer in terms of politics, strong leader. And if you read the sort of three volume biography of her that came out over the last kind of ten years or so by Charles Moore, which you know even the Guardian, which is no fan of Thatcher, says is probably one of the greatest political biographies mm-hmm. of the last hundred years. You know, he, Charles makes the point. I mean, early on, that that leadership style she had was phenomenal because it got things done. It and brought mm. changes through that needed to happen. But then it tipped over into not listening, being egotistical. You know, um, thinking she knew the answer to everything, never consulting, never being accountable. And that was partly what led to the meltdown, the explosion, and the kind of night of the long knives and, and goodbye. Mm. Or in the business world, you might look to say, you know, one of my business heroes. I think Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. Mm um you know feet of clay when i say one of my business heroes because you go the guy you know was single-minded in the vision he had you know revolutionized four or five different industries most people if they're lucky get to revolutionize one in their business career he he revolutionized at least five um but if you read the big biography of him by walter isaacson going again just in terms of his interpersonal relationships a total utter bully Hmm. and to go so this is not just an issue unique in the church and i wonder whether and I'll pass to yeah, Michael to see what you, you know to pick, pick up on this. I mean, I do wonder whether the key piece is that accountability piece is that once you stop listening, if you've got strong mm. opinions, but you listen to others and others know that they can challenge you and question mm. them. And, you know, you don't mind the kind of conflict. You don't mind people pushing, pushing back at you. Mm. Um, then it's not so bad. It's when you get that strong leadership who kind of knows what they want but then shuts all other competing voices out and rides roughshod over people to get to the end rather than carry people with you, mm-hmm. that's when the abuse happens, whether it's, you know, in political leadership, business leadership, or church leadership. And it's particularly toxic in the church because obviously the, the example we would look to for leadership is Jesus who knew what he wanted. I mean, he knew where he was going and he, he was going to Jerusalem to die. He knew his mission was to, you know, inaugurate the kingdom of God. Um, he didn't wander around going, well, I've got a couple of suggestions. If you think about it, he was authoritative, mm-hmm. but he was doing so in a way that was gentle and drew people with him and such that even the most wounded of hearts were happy to listen to him and not feel kind of ridden over. Um, and that's why it's so toxic in the church, I think, because it's such a clash with mm. what the model of true leadership should look like. But anyway, yeah.
0: I've... No, no, that's how I find it. And I think it's interesting bringing it... It's always good to bring things to Jesus, isn't it,
1: when we're Christians? I'm an evangelist. We have to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although you did start with Steve Jobs and stuff. So, you know, you are going, started secular, then you moved to Jesus. But no, I think it's interesting. Did. Jesus has the model of leadership. Um, But because when he deals... There are some times where he deals with people, obviously, where he's a lot tougher, isn't he? And mm. quite abrasive. think of Matthew 23 with the um lament against the... Pharisees, the, wo- the the woes for the Pharisees. What if there was a uh, you know a softly spoken Pharisee who who took that the wrong way and then wrote a blog about um, how Jesus was spiritually abusing them because he made them feel bad. He'd called me a whitewash too. I mean, what a you know what a what a mean guy and uh, what a bully. Uh, but of course, Jesus knows who he's speaking to, and he will tend to change his tone d- drastically depending on the person. Um, involved usually you know relating to the power they have and the way in which they're exercising that power the things that they should know um, and the way that they're treating those around them and the way they're perceived by those around them but still there's there's times where jesus says stuff which if you try to repeat it in any context you'd now be called abusive you'd now be called a bully just for speaking like you really mean it and i think there's there's some danger with that isn't there i mean you know from the, from the way that we might inherit postmodern cultural approaches to authority, which is suspicious of all power and all uh, approaches to authority. Any kind of thoughts on that, Michael, or, or anything that might? I just want to get back there.
2: on what Andy was sharing, really, about that. And I think um, I remember a, a mentor, a friend of mine, Michael Green, once talked about the loneliness of leadership. And there is that danger that as you kind of progress um, in any particular leadership, but I guess particularly Christian leadership, that can be a lonely place. Um, and I remember someone else saying... The sign of a good leader is that they surround themselves with strong individuals who will be able to challenge right. them. And a, a bad leader or a weak leader is someone who surrounds themselves with weaker individuals to bolster their their opinion and their position. Um, yeah. And it just struck me, you know, Billy Graham um, you know, died a couple of years ago. Just the contrast, really, in the kind of time after his funeral mm. and the time after Ravi's. And, you know, yeah. incredible that, you know, there's probably no individual in the Christian church in the last hundred years that people would have wanted to take down more than Billy Graham. And yet, incredibly seems to have yeah. been you know, transparent and maintained integrity in his ministry. But actually, one of the beautiful things that he had through mm-hmm. his life was a close group of friends who did ministry together, who knew him really, really well. And so, yes, they mm-hmm. were an organisation, but mm-hmm. they were close friends that had really committed to holding each other accountable. And so the importance of, yeah. we we often talk about accountability groups. We need accountability. Um, But the difficulty is if you just appoint an accountability group and they ask you questions, you can lie to them, can't you? You will. You're not going to tell them the truth if if that's going to be detrimental. But if you've got friends who've known you for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they hopefully will have more of a chance of knowing something sus, Yeah, when you start doing ridiculous things. Well, we won't start naming them, but, you know, they hopefully will see that without them even having to ask you the question they'll they'll see that things are wrong whereas if you've just got a kind of a group of people that you've drafted in to kind of tick the box of accountability there's quite easy ways to get around that it will look right but actually Mm -hmm. so i so i think you know do we need accountability Mm -hmm. yes but but actually what do we need most we need friends who know us who are close to us who are strong enough to be able to challenge us um And Mm. and that's the danger that actually we end up in ministries where we, you know, in Ravi's case, you know, traveling 250 days a year, disconnected from family, disconnected from friends. Mm. No one really knowing what he's doing, where he is um, and just massive, massive dangers in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's really helpful to to bring back to the fact that actually sometimes there can be a yearning for more bureaucratic structures that prove that you can you know demonstrate that you're above reproach which obviously is really really important especially the more complex the organisation becomes and the more money it's handling that kind of thing mm. the more publicity it has but ultimately sin will find a way <laughs> to get out as well and i think that that's you can try to minimise that and you can try to mitigate against it mm. but um yeah there's a, there there can be tensions in how we actually end up thinking what is going to solve this mm. uh, but we can end up sort of tying everything up and 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 Actually, as you say, being accountable with friend, brothers and sisters in Christ in, in a church would be ideal. Um, you know, in ways that we're actually that this can happen in a more organic way, but still with structures that are appropriate uh, within that, but not, not in the sense that you have to have all of these sort of new laws in order to mitigate any possibility of, of sort of free action because you don't want that you want to avoid sin. I just want to, um, take us. Well, I know we're sort of over time, but now we're over time. I want to throw a curveball, which really opens up several cans mm. of work. So we talked about cans of worms last time. Here's a a super can of worms, an uber can of worms for you. Um, Michael, you just mentioned legacy, right? Relating Mm -hmm. to Billy Graham, we can see Billy Graham's legacy and um, it seems to be untarnished, which is wonderful. Um, And of course, he was very scrupulous in the way he went about things. He never, you know, the the, the Billy Graham rule of never being um, alone with a woman um, um, for a significant period of time without anybody else there, like in an elevator or anything else. And there are other leaders, obviously, who haven't done that. And we've, we've seen, we've talked about some of those today. But how do we deal with the works of the leader who has fallen? So, you know, do we say, right, this person is now, they've lost integrity. So everything else they say doesn't matter anymore. Now, the reason why I'm saying this, not just for people like Babi Zacharias or, or others who've, um, who've recently fallen um, and we've had to reevaluate their legacy, but there's also others on the sort of, Other areas of the spectrum, we might say, someone like Martin Luther King, who, of course, especially in the wake of 2020, um, has had lots of airtime in Christian circles. But even before then, was was gaining a lot of airtime, and he was somebody you know who you would have problems with him as a leader because of his extramarital affairs, and there there are many of them, and there's you know potentially good evidence of much worse stuff um, that he was potentially involved in. What do we do with that? Do we now say right? the civil rights stuff's great, um, but we just we'll just turn a blind eye to the kind of other stuff. What do we do with that? And and how do we be consistent mm. if we're gonna do that with some of these other leaders like Ravi or others? Any kind of thoughts on that? Again, yeah a
1: good, question. A couple just a couple of thoughts to to begin with. I mean it's I mean the the MLK piece is interesting, isn't it? Because I think why that's so raw, of course, is you know, everyone has their own set of heroes. And, you know, Ravi had his heroes and Ravi has fallen and the fallout is happening. M. R. K. has a whole different set of heroes and intersect for the whole set of things that we we really want to be affirming and positive about. And suddenly it gets horribly controversial. And again, I think there's the tendency, right, for people to go, let's not ask the question. Let's not ask the question. But surely we've got to ask the question. And I wonder whether part of the answer, and it's only part of it, um, Aaron, here, is that just like there's a tendency in some parts of culture right now to, you know, to sort of, you know, rub the past clean. So we've got, you know, certain kind of movements in society who are like, you know, throwing statues into into lakes and, you know, trying to rename streets in London. And if anybody had even some remote connection, something dubious in the past, you know, mm-hmm. even if they're innocent, we still go, no, 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 we're going to scrub them because like their grandfather owned slaves or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe we just need a more honest conversation about the past. And in which case it's OK, let's talk about, say, MLK and the, and the stuff that he did in terms of civil rights, which is phenomenal. You know, I've I've never actually I've, I've read some of this stuff, but I'd never read Letter from Birmingham Jail. And I just read that actually just the other week because I thought, you know, I finally actually need to read that document and was reading it and reflecting on some of this stuff. And thinking, you know, what we need to do is be honest and not, you know, either put our heroes on a pedestal mm-hmm. or trash people entirely, but find a way of going. Let's tell the truth. Let's tell the truth about history. Let's tell the truth about individuals. And, of course, that was the approach that for things like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. Took, mm-hmm. Rather than try and divide the world into heroes and saints, recognize mm-hmm. that actually it's a much more mixed picture. So we have to do the truth-telling. You know, don't live by a lie. Tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And then you can decide, you know, once you know, well, this is some of MLK's background, this is some of Ravi's background, this is some of Jean Vanier's background. But they also did some good stuff as well. And here's the good stuff. And if you're still happy to, to look at that, given you now know more of the biography, then so be it. The one qualifier I would add, particularly on the Ravi stuff, because it's tied in with the spiritual abuse. And I don't know the answer here. It's just, I think I thought what I've been leaning into Mm -hmm. is, you know, I've got some of Ravi's books on my shelf largely because I, you know, I got, I got a few when I was on staff years ago, because you sort of felt, you know, kind of shooting off and they were freebies, let's be honest. Um, You know, I haven't, I've read a couple of them, others I haven't, and I have looked at them often going, man, should I just take those off and pulp them? And I'm probably getting close to it, to be honest, And the thing that's pushing me towards that, I probably will, is just the observation. If you're dealing with someone who's a victim of sexual assault or sexual abuse and, uh, you know, that you are having a conversation with them, you know, Mm -hmm. in the office and they glance at your shelf and they see there the name of somebody who is connected so strongly with that mm-hmm. kind of abuse, is that going to actually be a huge problem for somebody who's trying to come to, you know, have the courage to sort of talk about what's happened to them? And so I think particularly if anyone does any kind of counselling, any kind of pastoral work, anything like that, that's where things get get mm-hmm. difficult. And that's also say for the reason I wouldn't recommend Ravi's books to anyone mm-hmm. right now. Because so I go, how do I know that the person I'm recommending this book to isn't somebody for whom this is a massive issue? And this could just be the trigger point mm. uh, that could bring the gospel into disrepute. Mm. Um, so I'm probably leaning the, at the very least, bury them in a box. And if I need to check a reference on something, I'll dig it out from under the bed and yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and look at it. But yeah, mm. I think truth telling is a mm. big part of this, and mm. uh, and we tend to hide from the truth. And you know, Jesus said, "The truth will set us free."
0: Mm. Yeah. Thanks. Andy. And just before I ask Mike, Michael to come in and solve. All of these problems. Uh, he will. He likes to do sleep. this. We know he as well. He's got a boat, so you know he should be able to do this. Um, I, I think it's interesting what you say there about um, the differences of, of how people who are living and who may have issues with this. I, I, we haven't really, we haven't got time to really go in it. But I might, I would want to push back a little bit to say, sh- shouldn't the same thing happen if they saw Letter from Birmingham Jail? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: because, because this, it's the same. It, it's, it's. You know, we've got we've got the same sort of levels, horrendous stuff. maybe as you say, spiritual abuse, um worse for Ravi, but I, th- I think it it's still all layers of horrendousness. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. there's a danger that we want to not critique that because we'll especially if you're white, it will look worse if you do. So there's a sense of you know, living by not by lies is also to say, look, they're both bad in these ways. They they were both good in these ways, but there can be a way in which we we try to protect ourselves from being told off by,
1: by I guess the, yeah. the state no, that's a vote. fair, that's a fair critique. And look at that, we have disagreement on the show. That's exciting. <laughs> it's so, possible, And also, yeah. as well, I'm very honest. I'm, I'm thinking this stuff through, and I think that's important mm. for listeners to hear as well. That you know, mm. myself and and you and Michael, we don't have the answer to everything. Some of this is us processing this, this stuff. Mm. And yeah, you're right. There's mm. there's probably a consistency question there, mm. isn't there? Yeah, yeah.
0: And of course, you'll so. be rethinking your name of uh, Andy Bannister International Ministries, which was I know you were thinking about going with, but maybe holding fire yeah. on that now yes yeah,
1: so i was Or oh, give me all your money plc or something you know. that would have been that would have been that would
0: be not telling lies of course yeah that's getting straight sorry michael we have been you've uh, been waiting for your uh synthesis of all of the problems
2: now i wish that i had a wonderful succinct wise and clear answer to give to your question something's a great question it's a really great question and and it's one to kind of reflect on and i'll probably think of a good answer about two o'clock this morning um <laughs> tomorrow morning rather It'd um, be even better if I could think of it retrospectively <laughs> ahead of the time, yeah. but um, but yeah, I, I guess one of the issues would be to say that whilst Martin Luther King was a preacher like Ravi, he's not primarily remembered for being a minister. He's primarily remembered for his influence upon kind of the mm-hmm. politics of, 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 of America, and so I think there is a level of hypocrisy that people feel like Ravi and what Ravi has done maybe that is greater than what people feel and a, and a standard that people would feel that they would naturally hold them to because Ravi is known primarily as um, you know, an evangelist, an apologist, a Christian leader, and so on. Um, but I don't know if there's something in that. And I guess also reflecting on what Andy said, there is this sense of, yes, we are all a mixture of, of good and evil, creating the image of God and fallen. At the same time, though, Jesus does have very very strong words for leaders in particular who um abuse their position and and actually mm. you know rather than feeding the sheep eat the sheep um someone said this week mm. um it was glenn scrivener and a podcast I was listening to who was saying um he right. was a wolf in sheep's clothing he was a wolf in shepherd's clothing which makes it even more dangerous um mm. so yeah so there's that kind of like there's a danger that we just go like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, we're all fallen. Yeah, we're all expressing it in different ways. You know, you kind of like you know, struggle with your tax return. This person, you know, is a little bit dishonest, and this person, you know, abuses hundreds of people in all around the world. And it's like, well, no, there's, there's levels out there. Um, so, yeah, it's getting that right that we recognise that we are all fallen, and yet also there is a. Mm there is a seriousness, particularly to someone who is claiming to be a Christian leader uh, and is known for that. And, but yeah, uh, it's a really good question. I think I need to reflect on it more yeah, in terms of like, what mm. do we do? For that? You know, do we scrapple? I remember years ago when Roy Clements, you know, there was a probably about 20 years ago now, you know, quite a well-known evangelical leader um, who, who kind of, I've not
0: heard of him. I thought you were saying Ray Clements, a former Liverpool goalkeeper,
2: but no, you know, I don't, you how much I Ray Clements. But Roy Clements was a well known evangelical minister in Cambridge and um and then you know completely walked out on this church and you know, big kind of massive you mm. know kind of, hit the headlines in the UK. And it was interesting, because again, you know, what do you do? Because yeah, you know, I got books that were written by him, and you know, there's a book that he wrote on the parables, which is brilliant. Yeah, you know, and, and read back through it and you know mm-hmm. I think we want to say, you know, all truth is God's truth. It wasn't Ravi's truth. You know, when Ravi spoke the truth, he was speaking God's truth, not his. Mm-hmm. Um and and you know, as preachers there is a sense in which we are pointing away from ourselves to Christ at our very best moments. And when Ravi did that, you know, we we celebrate mm-hmm. what Christ did and you know, the truth that was proclaimed. But I think there's also a kind of question of kind of immediacy as well, you know. Um there's a time to say those things but actually in the midst of all this thing if the first thing we say in response is like well you know it's great you know his books are still good (laughs) um that can be (laughs) insensitive Mm. 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 Mm.
0: yeah no that's that's, those helpful thanks thanks both of you for those and and I think there's so much more we could say and reflect on I think there are so many other reflections on this issue at the moment uh, relating to the Reverend Zacharias situation but but hopefully we were able to get into some of these issues that, that linger a little bit more broadly and hopefully give us some questions, if not answers to, to start thinking about where, uh, where to go next, uh, where, where we, when we kind of address this issue and that, you know, it is clearly the case, as, as you were saying earlier, Andy, as well, that, you know, Christians ought to do better. Christians need to be setting a high standard. And yet at the same time, we recognize there's, Uh, there are attacks upon the church attacks upon christian leaders targeted attacks as in spiritually speaking um, as well as uh, in other realms Um, and i think we need to be wise to that as leaders ourselves in whatever capacity uh, we are ministering or or evangelizing or leading or whatever we're doing and that's clearly something we can see the amount of failures we have seen in leadership that nobody's immune to um certain kinds of attacks and temptations so whatever we can do to encourage uh Fellow leaders in that way to speak truth and to live truth, uh, we ought to be seeking those ways as, as best as we can. Uh, well, I hope that has been a helpful episode. And as always, thanks to Michael Ott and Andy Bannister for your um, helpful reflections there. And, um, you know, again, we're looking forward to hearing more of your uh, podcast names streaming in um, as of now as of as of 2 a.m as uh, uh, michael mentioned before where he's going to have his great idea we want to hear your great ideas on anything you want to suggest for this podcast uh, particularly name related would be great well bye
2: for now thanks guys bye bye for now